Good morning, KMCC. Just a reminder today that we serve a God of the impossible, a God who conquered death, hell, and the grave. And if you agree with me this morning, will you join me in singing this song? Send this out, surely it's true. Since when is impossible ever stopped you? Friday's disappointment, Sunday's empty tomb. Since when is impossible ever stopped you? This is the sound of the dry bones rattling. This is the praise of the dead man walking in. Open the grave, I'm coming out. I'm gonna live, gonna live again. This is the sound of the dry bones rattling. Pentecostal fire Stirring something new You're not gonna run out of miracles Anytime soon Resurrection Resurrection fire Open the grave, I'm coming out 
Yes, God, you bring us back to life. You give life into these dry bones. We just pray this morning that we would come with expectant hearts for what you would do. We just pray that your peace would settle on this house, that you would remove all fear from our hearts and that would be restored in you. Let him turn it in your favor. Watch him work it for your good. He's not done with what he started. He's not done until it's good. Help me out, church. Let him turn it in your favor. Watch him work it for your good. He's not done with what he started. He's not done until it's good. Hello, peace. Hello, joy. Hello, love. Hello, strength. Hello, hope. It's a new horizon. Hello, peace. Hello, joy. Hello, love. Hello, strength. Hello, hope. It's a new horizon. If you're ready for our just open up and just receive. Oh, what He's pouring out is nothing you've ever seen. You'll ever see. Fear is not my future. You are, you are. Sickness not my story. You are, you are. Heartbreak's not my home. You are, you are. And death is not the end. You are, you are. Do you believe it, church? Not my future. You are, you are. Sickness, not my story. You are, you are. And heartbreaks, not my hope. You are, you are. Death is not me.
Do you believe that, church? Fear is not my future, but he is. You know, one of the greatest things about songs is actually hearing the origination of a certain song. And I wanted to be able to share with you, before we go into this next song, a song that was written probably five, ten years ago. It was written by a man by the name of Jonathan Hessler. He was invited to a worship retreat up on a mountain. And when they got to the mountain, they said, here's the first thing we want to do is we don't want to have any songs that you've sung before. We're not going to sing any of those songs. I only want to be able to pull from you guys fresh new songs from your hearts. So there's a lot of pressure on him. And then he starts, the person that's heading up this retreat hands out these notebooks to these songwriters. And he says, this is what I want you to do. Open up your notebook. And on one side, I want you to put who God says he is. And on this side, I want you to put who God says that you are. And so as they're trying to even contemplate what this means and just starting to think, who does God say he is? Who's God to me? And then who does God say that I am? So church, before we go into this next song, I wanna be able to even challenge you at this moment. If you were handed a notebook right now, what you would fill up on who God says he is and who God says that you And then out of it came this song. You unravel me with a melody you surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone and the church saying i'm no longer a slave I am a child of God, that's who you say I am, no longer a slave to fear, cause I am a child of God. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. And love has called my name 
I've been born again to your family. Your blood flows through my veins. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child. Do you believe it? I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. No longer.
hanging on every word. Spirit of the living God, Spirit of the living God, we want to know you more and more. Hanging on every word. Cause when you speak, when you move, when you do what only you can do, it changes us. It changes what we see And what do we see When you come in the room When you do what only you can do It changes us It changes what we see What do we see You're changing everything Spirit of the living God, Spirit of the living God, we're leaning into all you are, and everything else can wait. Spirit of the living God, Spirit of the living God, come now and breathe upon our hearts, come now and have your way. Cause when you speak, when you move, when you do what only you can do, it changes us, it changes what we see. And what do we see when you come in the room? When you do what only you can do, it changes us, it changes what we see. And what do we see? Changing everything And when you move You move all our fears And when you move You move us to tears And when you move You move all our fears Yes you do And when you move When you fall, we fall on our knees And when you fall, we fall at your feet And when you fall, we fall on our knees When you fall, we fall at your feet Is what we see, and what do we see when you come in the room? When you do what only you can do, it changes us, it changes what we see. The living God, the Spirit of the living God, 
welcome to Camarillo Community Church. We are so glad that you're hanging out with us today. I know several of us are online because of the time change. I got up at five this morning, which was really four, which is crazy. Uh, but the cool thing is at the end of the day, we'll have more light so we can go out on walks later. And I always like that time of year. So that's awesome. So we're glad you're with us, whether you're online, uh, it's okay. You're not cheating. We feel you. Uh, and, uh, and if you're in the video venue, welcome as well. And all of us in the building, welcome. If you meant to go to the 9 a.m. service and yet you're here at the 1045, we understand it's okay. Your secret is safe with us. Hey, a couple of things before we get started is uh, we have a couple announcements to make that are very important. Number one, we do have a worship night this week on Tuesday. I want to invite you all to be a part of it. Certainly, if you're online, please come out and be a part of it. Half of what we do around here is to try to wade through and get through all the distractions of life to where we can just see God where he's seated on the throne. And here you have an opportunity on Tuesday to just get past all that stuff and just worship the Lord together. I mean, uh, you know, whatever the politicking is going on at, at, at your workplace, uh, whoever's cutting you off, whoever's taking credit for you or whatever, all this stuff that goes on, you can say, I'm just gonna get away from all that, rise above it and worship God. We'd love for you to be here on Tuesday. Now, uh, we're asking growth groups to come together, maybe sit together and worship together at the worship night. And if you have children, they're gonna have obstacles and um, stopsicles, popsicles. They're gonna have fun. I think popsicles, stickles, am I saying that right? Obstacles and pops, popsicles or popsticles, whatever. They're going to love it. So uh, uh, bring them and let's have a good time together on Tuesday night. The other thing I want to highlight is this and kind of explain this. Uh, you might have got one of these on the way in, cater or cop, appreciation at the police station. Let me kind of describe to you what this is and how it came about. Basically, we're trying, if you've been a part of our church for a while, you know that three, four times a year, we're trying to do something outside the walls of our church that express to the community that, that, that we love them and that we're valuable to them. And this might sound so out of pocket for you if you are a believer in Christ and a follower of Christ and a church attender on a regular basis, but there are people who in their, are secularized in their mentality. All they see is a building that is like completely tax-free. And they think to themselves, you know, if Walmart was there, at least the city would be getting taxes. And so we take up space in their mind. But when we do these activities, we're able to turn that on its head and say, no, you, you want us here. We're doing things that matter in our community, whether or not people buy into our faith belief system or not. And so that's what we do. We do it about two or three times a year. And so we decided to do a cater a cop initiative, which is appreciation at the police station. Some of you guys don't know this probably, but I have a brother-in-law, Meredith has a sister who's married. Uh, to a young man who is um, a, uh, a police officer in our county. And uh, last fall, I was, you know, we had a birthday party celebration and then we have Thanksgiving and so the family gets together. And I was just asking him, hey, how are you doing? How, how are things on the beat? You know, those type of things. And, and he goes, uh, you want me to be honest with you? I go, yeah. He goes, well, there's a lot of low morale. I go, tell me about that. He goes, well, you know, when you get all these, um, you know, uh, news, you know, uh, kind of, notoriety on the news stations that all have to do with somebody being ill-treated. Um, um, and he goes, we know, we, we know what we signed up for. We know that, you know, what our commitment and our vow is. And we know when we watch something online that's not appropriate and not, uh, you know, congruent with our vow to serve and protect the community. But what happens is the community starts looking at us negatively as if all of us are the same way and we're not. Now this guy is a believer in Christ, loves the Lord, and one of the ways he wanted to serve the Lord is to protect and serve the community. I thought, wow. 
okay, so I can see how you're carrying that weight. How does that look in your everyday uh, work life? And he goes, oh, I'll be honest with you. I don't, I, don't, I don't go to a place to eat lunch unless I can see the chef make my food. I said, what? He goes, unless I can see the chef making my food and I can see it all the way into the container that, it's, that I don't eat there. I go, why? He goes, Cause, because we don't know what somebody might do when we're dressed up and, and due to that food. And so either we go to a place where we can see it, the whole process, or we call in an order, and that way when we pick up, it's already in the takeout box, and we leave, we never eat at the place. I go, wow, that's your everyday life. I, I, he goes, yeah. I go, man, I always thought like, you know, there's restaurants that'd be like, hey, we love you guys. You come in, you get half off. He goes, there, there are those places, but just because the owner feels that way and has established that doesn't mean that the employees feel the same way. And so we're very careful, and I wow, I didn't realize that things were of that state. And again, in the same vein, he would say, we see the things online and we understand that that's wrong. It's just that not everybody is doing that. And so I, uh, we decided we were gonna try to do something to encourage the police officers that work in Camarillo. And we're gonna try to let them know that uh, they may not have a need for it. We're just trying to say, we appreciate what you do and we love you, thank you for doing what you do. And so we started getting in contact with them. It was a long process because there's all kinds of concerns about, is this kind of a, we scratch your back, you scratch ours, you know, kind of things, and they have all these policies. We finally got to the place where we realized they have two briefings a day. It was a morning briefing and an evening briefing. And they're gonna allow us to cater a briefing. Uh, so we're asking you to go to uh, Wood Ranch, get, grab a, a gift card at any denomination you want to grab, drop it off the church all month long, and we're going to gather all those gift cards together, and as many briefings as we can cater, we're going to do. Uh, and, and what they'll do on their side is they're going to let everybody, hey, we're being sponsored this week, we're, we're having a catered briefing from Wood Ranch, Camarillo Community Church, and all the officers will be there if they hear Wood Ranch. That's why we're not doing like Taco Bell. You know what I'm saying? And so we want them to feel appreciated, right? And so they'll go in and then they also said, and you can bring a team with you that can serve the catered meal as well to them before the briefing. And then we leave before uh, their briefing starts kind of a thing. And so we're asking for two things. One, uh, I know time schedule is not for everybody. I can't, make it, I can't be there, but I can go get a gift card. Great. That'd be one way to be involved. The second way is if you're able, your schedule allows to go with us and, 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 and be there to actually serve the police officers at these briefings, uh, you can sign up on a list and let us know. And then as we get the dates, they're to be announced right now, as we get the dates and we know how many of them we can cater, because I don't know how much money we're going to get. We'll do as many as we can. Um, then we'll start sending out dates on that email list. Hey, we got this date. Do you want to be involved in catering? You can do it twice. Our staff team will probably do one of them together. It's just going to be a way for our, 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 our way of saying we appreciate what you do in our community. So that's what we're doing. That's why we're doing it. And that gives you a bigger picture. I know that's been a little bit kind of a question mark. Like, what is this thing? Now you have all of it. All right. So I hope you'll be part of that with us this month. Now I got to jump in. Uh, you know, when I was a teenager, I became a Christ follower around 14 or 15 years old. And, and that was, and I, and I say 14 or 15 because it wasn't just like a day. It was like a process for me. I, it really is a deliberation process. And some of you can, can associate with that. Some of you is like, no, just God got to hold me one day and boom, everything changed. And some of you is more like a process. And maybe some of you are in that process right now and just know that that's okay. But I remember that season very, very well. And I had a friend of mine who was my age, maybe a year or two younger than me. And we we're kind of on the same track. 
track. We were going to church together. We go to church together on Wednesday nights. We get to go to church together on Sunday mornings. And then we even have a Sunday evening service. So we were always at church, it felt like. We go to Mexico together, not unlike our kids going to Mexico in a couple weeks. And, and, and we would do things there, you know, uh, whether it's park evangelism or, or kids' activities or, or even any kind of construction activities that the church that was present there needed. We would do all of that together. And he was there with me. And then I graduated from high school a year or two before him. I go off to college, Bible college and seminary. And years later, God calls me back to that church that I got saved at to be a youth pastor. I was there for 12 years. Well, when I had come back, I realized that he wasn't going to church anymore. Like, like he, he had dropped off the scene. No church life, no, no God in his life. And I thought, wow, that was really interesting because we were on the same trajectory. We were on the same path. We were like, going in the same direction. And so I decided to reach out to him, get reacquainted, and you know, some time had gone by. I knew he was a big baseball fan. I, at the time, uh, owned some uh, uh, Giants tickets, and so I invited him to opening day at San Francisco Giants at the ball, new ballpark. And of course, he said yes to that. And we went to the game. I believe we won. It was awesome. And then we were on our way home, and uh, traffic on the Bay Bridge, uh, there's a lot of time to talk. And so uh, as we're talking, I just said, hey, man, what happened? Can I just ask what happened? I mean, uh, you know, it was one way when we were kids, and now you're, you're an adult, I'm an adult, you're off doing your own thing, and uh, you, where did things go sideways for you? And, uh, uh, and, and I remember him telling me, you remember all those Mexico trips that we took with the church? I go, yeah, I remember the Mexico trips. I remember being profoundly impactful for me. I even felt like my faith was growing as we were there, as we were helping others. He goes, yeah, well, when I, when I went, I felt really good about it too, um, but, but what I would do is I would take my spring break and, and, and instead of going with my high school baseball team and, and, and playing the tournaments during spring break, I would say, I'm not doing all that and I'm going to Mexico at my church. I said, okay. He goes, well, the second year, my senior high school that I did that, my coach said to me that since you're gonna prioritize that instead of your team when they need you, then you're not gonna play anymore. You're gonna ride the bench. I said, okay. He goes, well, there was a lot of big games that year, Dave. Like real big games, games where there were MLB scouts, games where there were college scouts, and I didn't get to play. I couldn't show what I could do because I went to Mexico. And then he went on to share about how he had this big dream to play in the Major League Baseball, and, and he had thought that if he'd lived for God, that God would give him his dream. I'll never forget, he said the line, he goes, I was really wondering, like, when is this gonna actually work out for me? When is this actually gonna work out for me? And when it didn't work out for him and the MLB dream didn't happen, he checked out. And that's when I realized that we weren't on the same track at all. You see, I had come to the place where I understood that God was to be worshiped in the high times and in the low times. That when difficulty arises, that's not a reason to check out. No, that's still a time to worship God even through the low times. And certainly in the high times, it's easy to worship God. But he had come to a place where he understood God to be there almost as like a good luck charm. Like if I do this for God, then God will do this for me. I'll give this to you, God, and you give this to me. And he had this kind of transactional idea of what God would be in his life. And I realized that we weren't on the same page at all. Today we're gonna to explore whether or not our faith paradigms have us serving God or have him serving us. How do we know if we have God in the good luck charm category? And how does adversity in life provide us the key to knowing? 
what happens to our faith in the midst of negativity in life, negative circumstances, does that faith falter? Does that faith flatten? When does our faith splinter and when does our faith shatter? And for that, we're gonna be in uh, Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter four. I encourage you to turn there with me. I got a new Bible um, because it has larger print and I'm getting older. And it came with like a guarantee my preaching will get better in 30 days or less. And so I'm excited about that for you. Uh, turning your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter four, we'll look at verses 12 through 22 together. Before we jump into that, I just wanna remind us of the context of where we are in the Old Testament and where we are in Samuel, because context matters and it helps understanding. And so where we are in the Old Testament is that there's a relationship, a specific relationship between God and his people Israel. And that relationship comes by the Mosaic Covenant. And that Mosaic Covenant works this way. If you will abide and follow me, then I will protect you and I will have favor on you. There's a very specific relationship. You do your side, I will do my side. You don't do your side, I will not do my side. And it's important to keep that in mind when we read the Old Testament because we, we come by way of a different understanding or a different relationship with God today. And we gotta make sure that we make the connection straight. God's presence or his protective presence and glory and favor was predicated on their obedience. You don't fulfill your covenant obligations to me, then you can't expect God's presence and you can't expect his help in your times of difficulty. Now we come on the scene in uh, 1 Samuel chapter four. And if you were here two weeks ago, you remember this. There's a battle that happens between the Israelites and the Philistines and 4,000 people die, 4,000 Israelites die, and they lose that battle and instantaneously. It's like, what happened? Why didn't God spare us? What's going on? We would have expected the God of this world to have given us the victory in that battle, and we didn't get it. So what is going on here? And rather than turning to God through the prophet of the land, which was Samuel, and repenting of their sins, of not holding up their end of the Mosaic covenant, they try to force God's hand. Now, some of this makes sense because the high priestly family is the family that's in sin and they don't want to repent. Eli and his sons are doing bad things, bad ways, and they don't want to repent. And so they say, you know what we'll do? Rather than going and repenting to God and asking of what God has for us through Samuel, we'll just force his hand. And here's how they force his hand. We're going to bring the Ark of the Covenant out to battle. The Ark of the Covenant was considered the place uh, where God would sit on his throne. So we'll bring him, uh, it's like bringing our king on his throne into the battle, and then he will surely have to defend us because he's not gonna let like a lame, small G God beat him. They're not gonna let a, a, you know, a, a, a pagan um, worldview beat him. He'll have to defend us. They reason with themselves because the throne seat of the Lord is the ark itself, that if they brought it into battle, that it would force his hand, effectively turning God into a genie in a bottle that you rub, a lucky charm, a rabbit's foot, which by the way, none of that is recommended, turning God into that. And so they come back from the battle, as we saw two weeks ago, and this time 30,000 troops are lost. That's where we pick up the story and we ask the question, how do you know if you have faith in God, true faith in God, or simply a good luck charm? How do you know if you have real faith in God or if what you have is simply a good luck charm? The first indicator is gonna be whether or not life's adversity splinters your faith paradigm. How do you know if you have true faith in God or if what you have is simply a good luck charm in God? 
first indicator will be whether life's adversity splinters your faith paradigm. Let's look at this in verse 12 through 17. It says this, a man named Benjamin ran from battle, the battle line, and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and with dirt on his head. And when he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching for his heart trembled for the ark of the Lord. And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. And when Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, what is the uproar? And the man hurried and came and told Eli. Now Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were so set that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I have fled from the battle today. And he said, how did it go, my son? And he said, and he, and he who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. There's also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. How do we know if uh, our faith in God is real or if it's simply a, a faith in a good luck charm? Well, the first indicator is whether adversity splinters our faith paradigm. Does your faith get rocked in the midst of situations where adversity comes on the scene? And we see that here as a city is in mourning, the report comes back from the battlefield, a man uh, runs back to the city, his clothes are torn, he's got dirt on his face and his head, and, and the putting of dirt on your body or dust or ashes on one's head was a typical sign in both Old Testament and New Testament periods, like an ancient way of symbolizing a certain thing. In fact, if you're taking notes, it symbolizes three things. Uh, it was a means by which the living could identify with the dead. Secondly, it was very symbolic of the representation of burial. That's why you're throwing dust or dirt on yourself. It was a sign of extreme anguish and distress so that you can tell what has happened by just by the way the guy's dressed. He's running in, his clothes are torn, he's got all this on his face. You know, this ain't good. But at the same time, Eli's blind, like so he doesn't see that. He just hears all this commotion, and, and, and he had, the guy runs towards and has to tell him, but he should be able just to see it if his eyes were good. Now, interestingly enough, the text says that he was sitting on his seat on the side of the road, and it's so interesting and almost like ironic that in chapter one, he was sitting on his seat just outside the temple. And we see what's happening. He's getting further and further away. He's being displaced by God. You didn't honorably uh, live up to what you were supposed to do as a priest. You didn't, you didn't set down your kids. Uh, you, you, you ate of the food that they were unjustly getting for themselves. And so now you're getting further and further away from the temple of God. And so he sits there and the guy comes up to him and says, the ark has been captured. The high priestly line has been delivered a deep blow. Everything of national significance was gone. The high priestly family themselves have two of their priests killed, Hophni and Phinehas, which by the way, this was predicted earlier in the book of 1 Samuel. The ark had been captured. The battle had been lost. Troops were scattered. Many are dead. In all this, the future looks grim. Doesn't look good. And as a process and a byproduct of this, faith gets splintered. How is it that God, who promised us that he would defend us, didn't do it? 
The first time he didn't do it, 4,000 people died. The second time we brought in the ark itself, which represents the very presence of God, the very favor of God, and yet he still didn't do it. Not only did he not do it, he got captured. And it's interesting how in our lives, our faith can be splintered as well when God allows situations that we weren't expecting. For us, it's the health scare, it's the surprise divorce, it's the wayward child, the wayward grandchild, the untimely layoff. Well, I I thought I signed up for something where you were supposed to take care of me and you didn't take care of me. And so now my faith is crumbling right before my eyes. I thought I was signed up for something that is different than what's going on right now. My faith has been splintered. How do we know if we have true faith in God, genuine faith in God, or simply a good luck charm in God? Well, number one, life's adversity. uh, When when, uh, uh, the first indicator would be life's adversity, does it splinter our faith paradigm when we find ourselves in the midst of life's adversity? Number two, another indicator would be that life's adversity shatters your faith, like completely shatters your faith. It went from being splintered, like now it's just gone. And that's what we're gonna see in verses 18 through 22. Follow along as I read. It says this, as soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate and his neck was broken and he died for he was old and heavy. Obese is the idea. And he had judged Israel for 42 years, a whole generation of time. Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant and about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth for her pains came upon her. The idea is a premature delivery. And about about the time of her death, premature delivery that leads to her own death, The woman attending her said to her, don't be afraid for you have born a son. Should be a joyous occasion. But she did not answer or pay attention. And she named the child Ichabod saying, the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God had been captured and because her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. How do you know if you have true faith, genuine faith in God, or simply a good luck charm in God? Well, when life adversity comes on the scene and it shatters your faith, that should be an indication. Now, I want to kind of steer us clear from maybe what our first notion would be when we read that. The first notion of understanding or even applying this could be something like this. You see, when you don't follow God, he will take you out. You see, when you don't follow God, he'll punish you. And I want to kind of steer clear of that idea because you remember that Israel and God had a certain relationship. It was a reciprocal relationship that they had because of the Mosaic Covenant. You honor God, he honors you. You defy God, he punishes you. That was the covenant. They all agreed to it. That was the understanding but it's not always like that for us today. We come to God by way of a different covenant. You know, in fact, I think of John chapter nine, the man born blind. If you wanna go back and read it, um, um, you can do so today or come back for Easter. I'm thinking about using that for Easter. Um, 
And the disciples go to Jesus and they say, hey, this guy is blind. So, so clearly either he did something wrong before God or his parents did something wrong before God so that God would punish him. You see the idea there? You do something wrong, you defy God, he punishes you. And Jesus says to the disciples, oh, no, 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 you missed it. Neither he did anything wrong, nor did his parents do anything wrong. This was there so that God could get glory. And so not every situation works out exactly that way. You gotta remember that there was a special covenant between God and Israel, the Mosaic covenant that said, if you defy me, I punished you. If you honor me, I protect you. And in this story, God is not uh, turning his back on Israel. So clearly he's confirming the covenant. He's doing exactly what he said he would do, what they agreed to. You, you defied me and so now I'm punishing you. He's not turned his back on, he's not abandoned them. He's just doing what the covenant said he would do. We come by way of a different covenant, a covenant of grace, a covenant of mercy, so that God doesn't give us what we deserve. In fact, he gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us his favor even though we don't deserve it. That's very amenable <laughs> right there. You know, <laughs> Preach on, Pastor. That, that's, that's good news, right? That, that, that's wonderful that we come by way of a different covenant. Now, God can still discipline us as a father lovingly disciplines his child, but not as an enforcer. Not as, not, not as a, like a, a legal enforcer as a father. When I had my children at a younger age, I would discipline and there'd be a whole talking to and loving. And it was all because I wanted them to grow up right. Not because I was like enjoying, hey, I'm gonna get you for doing that. And sometimes we can have that notion with God because of the Old Testament, but that's just not the relationship that we come to God in. So you gotta keep that in mind. This is why I don't think the main um, takeaway from this is when you mess with God, God gets you. I don't think that's what's going on here. I think the main takeaway here is that they were trying to use God as a lucky charm. <laughs> we'll force his hand. He'll have to do what we want. We'll manipulate God to do what we want. You can't do that. And when you do that, watch what happens. And as we just read, Eli takes the news pretty hard. The Ark of the Covenant is taken away. He falls backward off his seat, breaks his neck, and dies. The text says he was blind and old and obese, and that makes it possible for all this to be able to be happening. Many commentators believe that what made him obese was the fact that he was participating in these um, uh, meat-eating sessions with his sons. Remember, they were taking the portion that was for God, and they were eating the fattiest parts for themselves. And so that's how he gorged himself and got to that place where this is all possible. In addition to that, uh, uh, in a progression of things, his own daughter-in-law takes it pretty hard, goes into premature labor, and then dies early herself. The news of her father and her father, uh, her father-in-law's and her husband's death press her forward into premature labor and then her eventual death. But before she dies, there's this irony of how she names the child. Here, she's in deep distress and like the midwives are coming going, hey, it's okay, it's okay, you had a son. It's supposed to be like a great thing. Look, your family line's gonna continue. This is wonderful. You know, even though you've had a rough delivery and you've had a rough day with your father-in-law dying and your husband dying, you had a son and she doesn't listen to any of that. Ignores it all and names the child Ichabod. The name Ichabod means no glory or there is no glory or where is the glory or glory is gone. And the idea is the glory had departed, literally had gone into exile. 
Glory has gone into exile. God's glory has left us. The presence of God has left us. The glory of God has left us. Here's the interesting thing, though. The truth is the glory of God, the presence of God, didn't go anywhere. It just went over to the Philistine camp. We're going to come back next week, and you'll see what the glory of God does in the Philistine camp. It's kind of funny, actually. The glory of God never left, but in her, in her perspective, he's gone. The presence of God is gone. The favor of God is gone. The, the, the glory of God is gone. It traveled with the ark and it's gone. Now this was huge in their understanding because after the Exodus, the Lord promised to consecrate the temple with his glory. Exodus chapter 29, verse 43. He also promised to fill it with his glory and a cloud covered it represent, representing his glory. Exodus chapter 40, after they built it, he came and he filled it. And so for them to be, for her to be thinking, the glory is gone, it's a huge thing. And then you compound that with ancient world dynamics where, where when you go to battle the ancient world versus this people versus this people, there's one physical battle that's going on for sure. And whoever wins, wins that physical battle. But there's another battle going on in their minds and that is their God versus their God. It wasn't just who won the battle physically, whose God won the battle See, the Philistines are thinking to themselves, wait a second, our gods just took out the Israel's God and Israel's God took out the entire Egyptian army. Our gods are amazing. They're feeling pretty dang good about themselves. Now, hold that thought until we get to chapter five. They're thinking that they, they won. The God of Israel's dead, lost. The glory's gone is the idea. And so Phineas's wife Names your son, there's no glory. The glory is departed. But had God really disappeared? Was he really gone? You see, we believe in a God who's omnipresent. Omni, all or every, everywhere. Present, he's present everywhere. They assumed because God had departed from them in his favor, in their present predicament, that God is gone. But we believe in a God who's everywhere present. Even so, you could say this. Some people say that, 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 that hell is the absence of God, just like darkness is the absence of light. I say, no, it can't be. You know why? Because God's omnipresent. He has to be everywhere. He's everywhere. He didn't go anywhere. He's everywhere. He just, they lost the favor of God, but they didn't lose God. And there's a problem when we allow difficulties of life to translate in our minds or to mean to us that God isn't present. Hear that. There's a problem when we allow the difficulties of life to mean to us or translate in our mind that God isn't pr present. Israel here lost the favor of God, but they didn't lose his presence. He didn't go anywhere. He's still there. He's still alive. And we're going to see what he does next week in chapter five. So the question for us becomes, does life's adversity splinter your faith? Does life's adversity shatter your faith? Or could it be said that in the midst of life's adversity, your faith gets stronger? Is it possible for your faith to get stronger even when it feels like the bottom is falling out of life. You see, your response to life's adversity can be a great indicator of where you are out spiritually. Your response to life's adversity can be a great indicator as to where you are at spiritually. 
When things don't go my way and it didn't work out the way I thought it was going to work out and I thought that I'd do all these things for God and he's going to make all these things happen for me, that didn't happen as that began to splinter my faith. And then later on, it continued not to happen and it just shattered my faith. That is a great indicator of where you are spiritually. Do you have this transactional idea between you and God? I do this and then he does this and if he doesn't do that, then I'm disappointed. It's a great indicator of where you're at. Your response to life, as I said, adversity can be a great indicator of where you are at spiritually. You know, I think there's no greater example of this than the story of Job in the Bible. It's one of my favorite stories. It doesn't get a lot of pub in church. People don't talk about it a lot because it actually has some hard truths to deal with. I'll give you a quick summary. Job is a pawn in the chess game between God and Satan. Job suffers greatly after being named the most righteous, upright, and blameless man on the earth. Job chapter one, verse eight. After his children are killed, because Satan says to God, yeah, I know you think he's godly, but if you give me, give me access to his life, I'll, I'll mess it up to where he won't, even, he won't love you anymore. And God says, okay, go for it. So after his children are killed, Job in his godliness is able to recognize God's sovereignty and blesses God anyway. He gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job chapter one, verse 21. Job goes on for chapters on end, defending God to his friends and his family who are trying to deter him from his faith because obviously this is not working out for you, Job. His own wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? Job chapter two, verse nine. And finally, at the very end of the book, I challenge you to read it. It's like 42 chapters. Lots of it is him defending God to his friends. Job, the most righteous man on the earth, gets to the very end and says, okay, I, I have some questions. And if anybody gets to have answers to their questions, it'd be Job. Like he's the most righteous man who walks the earth. God, I'm the most righteous man. I don't understand how this all worked out in my life. And so I got some questions for you. And the interesting thing about it is God doesn't give him answers. Instead, he asks some of his own questions and they're all sarcastic. They go like this. Oh, if you think you can ask me questions, maybe you could tell me where you were when I created this whole world. You see, I'm the one who makes the whole thing spin and float. You must've been there when I created the skies and I made it all work together. Where were you sitting? What were you doing? All in sarcasm. If you think you can question the ever living God, surely you must've been there at the very beginning. Job, not getting one of his answers, realizes, actually says in Job chapter 42 and verse three, there are some things too wonderful for me to know. Let me tell you something, there's nothing wonderful about it, but they're full of wonder for him. There are some things that are beyond my pay grade. He gets to know, I don't. He's God, I am not. Don't miss it. It was in the midst of life's adversity that Job appropriately realized that there are some things that are higher than him. And it's a credit to him as godliness, historically. He's not God, I'm, he's God and I'm not. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Your response to life's adversity can be a great indicator of where you are at spiritually. 
I'm wondering if there's anybody here today who wants to stop blaming God for the negative events in your life. Remembering that God cannot be relegated to a lucky charm that simply exists to do your own bidding in life. You're ready to submit to him as God, very God, the ultimate being that you are to serve and not to relegate in service to you. Guess what I'm trying to say is, if you don't make your dream to get to the MLB, can you still bless God and can you still worship him? Because if you can, then you've got a God. And if you can't, then you've got a lucky charm. And God will not and cannot be relegated to be a lucky charm. He is God. He's the almighty God who deserves to be worshiped in the high times and in the low times. You know, I have to say one of the hardest times in my Christian life was when my mother passed away some 20 years ago. And uh, she was the greatest woman in my life. At the time I only had been married to my wife for a year. And so she was still the foundation for me. She had passed away suddenly, a little unexpected cancer. She was young. I remember going to church that week and I just made the decision to move back to be closer to her and she dies within a week of me moving back. I went to church that weekend and they were singing this song on the stage and it was completely random. But it was that song that quotes that line from Job. The song's called Blessed Be Your Name, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. At the end of that song, it says, he gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I sang that song that weekend in a whole new way that I never understood before. In tears, as I thank God for giving me such a wonderful mother. And at the same time, blessing him as he took her away and took her home to be with him. I don't say that to toot my own horn, but I do want to give you an example of what a godly response looks like in the midst of adversity. We serve God and worship him. We don't turn him into our little puppet to where he serves us and worships us. That's what we have in mind. Why don't you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I have in mind today the person who might be asking that question that haunts me to this day. I remember being on the Bay Bridge and listening to my friend, what happened? And I'll never forget the line. When is this gonna work out for me? But doing all this for God, when is it gonna actually work out for me? Sometimes we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we're in some kind of transactional relationship with the Almighty to where he must do for us what we want. And yet the truth is, we are to fall on our knees, worship the ever-living God in the high times and in the low times. He gives and he takes away. Blessed be his name. I'm here to worship you, not worship myself. I'm here to live for you not for me. 
your ways are higher than mine. Would you help us strive after and live the model of Job in his life, in ours? We ask in Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. There is power in the name of Jesus because it's uh, the power of salvation for those who believe. If you're here today and you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, maybe you're living for yourself and you're living for the world, um, God is offering you his grace and his mercy that Pastor David spoke of earlier in the message um, through the name of Jesus, through the cross work of Jesus on the cross where he paid the penalty for your sin. In order to receive that, all you have to do is repent, turn away from the world and the world's way and living for yourself and accept God's offer to forgive you and begin to follow him. If you're ready to do that and you're here today, we wanna to be part of that with you. And we just ask if you're in this room after this service, go to the lobby at the left-hand side of the counter on your way out. There's people there ready to talk with you and answer any questions and help you along in your journey towards Christ. If you're online, go to campcc.net and click on next steps. Um, and then you can fill out a little form there and one of our pastors will get back to you this week. All right, we're gonna receive our offering now. It's one of the ways we worship God. We put him first in all things. Um, and I just wanna let you know uh, that every dollar you get, we give 10 cents towards missions. Every $100, we give $10 towards missions. 10% of everything we receive goes out of these doors to impact the kingdom around the world. One of the missions we have is a, a ministry called the Heart of Hope in Romania, and they minister to orphans there. Um, and we send a team historically every summer to go down and put on a summer camp for orphans. Um, and it's, but we haven't been the last couple of years because of the pandemic. We weren't allowed to go to Romania. And this last year, because of the war in Ukraine, the camp was full of U Ukrainian refugees. But this is the comeback year. We're going back to Romania this summer. Um, and if you wanna find out more about it, or if you're maybe even interested in going to Romania to minister to orphans, um, we're gonna have a meeting directly after this service in the video venue, which is directly behind the stage if you follow the hallway around, if you wanna find out more. All right, um, if you're giving, there's three ways to participate. I'm not sure if they put that on the screen or not. Uh, and one more thing before you go. Uh, next week, we're voting on electing three new elders and approving the fiscal year budget. Uh, and those are available on the welcome counter if you wanna get some information before we vote. All right, check out this video of what's coming up next at CAMCC. Hey CAMCC, I'm Jacob Salas, the junior high pastor. I'm so glad you're here with us. If you're a first, second, or third time guest, we have some great gifts for you at the welcome counter to thank you for checking us out. Starbucks gift cards for your first time, stylish mugs for your second time, and an all-you-can-eat dessert with our staff and elders for your third time visit. Mark your connection card if this is your first, second, or third time with us, or if you're watching online, go to camcc.net slash next steps. There are a lot of great things coming up at CAMCC. Who will you ask to join you? The month of March, cater a cop. Appreciation at the police station. I'm so excited about our community impact initiative as we look to support law enforcement in Camarillo. For all the deets and how you can be a part of this great opportunity, check out our table after the gathering or go to camcc.net. Tuesday, March 14th, worship night, 7 p.m. Join us for a powerful night of worship and prayer. We will introduce a couple of new songs and some classics. If you haven't checked out one of these yet, bring a new friend and save the date. K through five students during the worship time, there'll be obstacles and popsicles. A giant inflatable obstacle course and popsicles? Need I say more? Nursery through pre-K childcare is available. Wednesday, March 15th, Mexico Mission Fundraiser, 7 through 8.30 p.m. Join us for a dinner and auction to raise funds to help build a house in Mexico. 
Email Zach at camcc.net for more info. Sunday, April 2nd, growth groups and classes begin. Sign up today on the patio for the marriage class, prayer boot camp, or growth group. It's a great way to get to know others at CAMCC and do life together, and it's just an eight-week commitment. Fear is not my future, you are... Friday, April 7th, the Good Friday Experience stations, 6 through 7.30. Come anytime between 6 and 7.30 p.m. and stay as long or as short as you would like. An interactive, powerful time of reflection, silence, scripture, and many more elements as we remember Jesus. Show up anytime between 6 and 7.30. The experience can take 30 to 60 minutes and is all based on your own pace. Childcare is available up to third grade. Sunday, April 9th, Easter gatherings, 9 and 10.45 a.m., he is risen. This is a great opportunity to invite someone to join you this Easter. They're waiting to be asked. Who will you extend an invitation to? May 26th to 29th, Family Camp. Save the date and join us for a weekend of camping together as a church at Lake Kachuma. To stay in the loop of what's going on at Camp CC, Follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to campcc.net. just want to thank Pastor Dave so much for that message this morning. Um, it's never easy talking about adversity, and nevertheless, all of us deal with it on some level. I'm sure you've dealt with it this week, maybe this month, this year. Um, but what just a great reminder that he is God and we are not. Um, and I just, I guess my prayer for you this week would just be as you're going about your week and seeing all those little leprechauns and pots of gold and rainbows everywhere because it's St. Patrick's Day, that you'll just remember that God is not our lucky charm and that he is um, all-powerful and omnipresent and um, just everything that we need. So uh, just reminder, uh, don't forget to get your gifts on your way out and that we have a worship night this week and we are really looking forward to that and really hope that you'll be here and will join us um, for a time of worship where we're really expecting God to show up and move and um, we just would love for you to be a part of that. So have a great weekend.